Talk to my friend Drew Allen. And I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. One of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As die-hard conservative. to this guy for wisdom. I have never seen such a public display of humiliation in my life as I just witnessed yesterday watching Barack Obama visit the White House to fanfare. And I mean it. It was humiliating for Joe Biden. Absolutely humiliating. And after yesterday, I'll tell you this right now, the charade's over. Uh, this Democratic Party, they have given up completely on Joe Biden. Any facade that they had up, for example, that would try to lead Americans to believe that Joe Biden was anything more than a titular head, a figurehead president who was not in control of anything, doing anything, just the Pino, the Pino, the president in name only. Well, that facade's wrecked. It's gone after yesterday. Everything we imagined, everything we knew in our hearts was put on display, which can no longer be debated yesterday at the White House. They don't take him seriously. They don't respect him. They don't even care to pretend to respect him or take him seriously anymore. Any remnants of that charade are over, gone. So that's what we learned yesterday. And we learned a lot about psychologically who Joe Biden is and who Barack Obama is. And it was it was just even for me, I got I got to admit, you know, I am not a sympathizer for Joe Biden and what he's done. And and I haven't even been uh, my my heartstrings haven't been pulled like many of my colleagues who say, "Oh, how can they push him out there and do this to this guy? How can his family let him spend the last years of his life like this?" Well, now I have uh, reached their level. My heartstrings were pulled yesterday because I don't like bullies. Now, Joe Biden is a bully. He is a bully. But to watch Barack Obama and those Democrats behave as they did was hard for me to stomach because even when the bully is bullied by a bigger bully, it bothers me. And that's what I witnessed yesterday. Barack Obama showed him no respect either, by the way. You know what it looks like? It was like Joe Biden was throwing a birthday party, right? Joe Biden's throwing a birthday party and nobody wants to come. But he's got this famous friend or brother who he knows people want to see and want to be around. He knows they don't want to be around Joe, but if he just invites Barack Obama, maybe people will show up. Maybe people will come to his party. And that's what happened yesterday. But what was worse than that is that Barack Obama showed up and Barack Obama ignored Joe Biden. He didn't just ignore Joe Biden. He poked fun at Joe Biden. It was a, uh, a pure demonstration in which Barack Obama is the clear alpha male and Joe Biden's a beta. He is insecure, which is a problem for a president of the United States. Forget his mental faculties aside. The fact that he's lost his brain and he's mindlessly wandering. He's not leading the country. We know that. Barack Obama and his people are. And that was also demonstrated yesterday. But my point is, you look at Barack Obama who comes in here and they claim this was going to boost morale for the Democratic Party, right? It was going to be a reset for the Democrats. Do you remember, by the way, do you remember back in 2009 
when Hillary Clinton went over to Geneva, when she was Obama's Secretary of State, brandish, brandishing that that plastic red reset uh, push button that she presented ceremoniously to her Russian counterpart, the Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov. And she was going to announce, hey, the Obama administration were resetting relations with Russia. So she goes through this gimmick and the Obama people, they mistranslated the Russian word of reset that was, that was written beneath this, this button to reset relations. It was mislabeled uh, paragruzka, which means overcharge, and it should have been labeled uh, parazagruzka, and so they botched that even. She brought the button in to reset, and the translators got it wrong on our side, and they labeled the reset button overcharge. Well, that's what this was about yesterday at the White House. It was the Democrats attempting to reset their own party, reset themselves before the midterms, and they botched it again. They botched it big time. But they're trying to reset the Biden administration, and they did it how? By bringing in Barack Obama to overshadow Joe Biden. I want to tell you exactly how bad things are, because Dana Milbank, a big leftist propagandist, wrote an op-ed for the Washington Post. He writes over the Washington Post. And I want to read some poll quotes, because this is how humiliating it was. It was so humiliating that... Milbank is actually commenting and making the points that I thought in my head, which were so awful. Here's what he says. America desperately needs Obama in the arena. Imagine, by the way, just for a second, you're the president of the United States. You're the Democrat choice. You were ushered into the White House and the Democrats are all laughing at you saying that while you're in office, we really need your predecessor. So let me go on. The 60-year-old former president's hour in the East Room brought back the memories of his once-in-a-generation talent and inevitably invited comparisons to his less charismatic and much older successor. Biden still seemed to be playing Obama's understudy. And that's absolutely true if you go and watch that. Biden was playing the understudy. It is so clear that Joe Biden has no self-confidence, which explains everything with his dealings, enriching himself with, he's a pushover. Joe Biden, yeah, he may be a bully, but the guy is a, a pushover. That's what he is. He's not the popular kid. He's never been the popular kid. He's always been the dumb kid. The kid that wasn't very talented, the kid that couldn't speak, the guy who, who, who nobody really wanted to be around, but he found himself in politics and he played the game and he played it pretty well to get himself positioned like he is. But he's never been charismatic. And now you got this old guy that everyone's laughing at and you bring in Barack Obama to boost morale. But what does it do? You juxtapose Joe Biden who has no charisma and is old and should not, I mean, the guy shouldn't, be doing anything. He should be retired, playing golf, living his sunset years at home out of the public's eye because it's too embarrassing to see. And you know what? It's like, I don't mean to offend anybody, but I'm using Joe Biden as the example, okay? You know, everyone has had an old relative at some point in their lives. They get to a certain point where they're not really fun to be around anymore. You don't want to be around them. It's a drag. Maybe they're in the nursing home. Sure, you love them, but you don't look forward to going and sitting with them while they eat their applesauce. 
because the conversations aren't lively, they've lost their memory, they're not what they ever used to be. But you're around this person, and that's Joe Biden. They are tired of being around this person. Jin Psaki, no, I mean, nobody wants to travel with him. It's not just they don't want to be seen with a loser. It's that he's intolerable to be around because you know that relative that gets to that point of stage, that stage in their life where they are unbearable to be around. You don't want to be around them, but that's what they're stuck with in the White House, Joe Biden. And imagine how frustrated they are. That's why they're always saying, you know, and think about the way they talk to this guy in the White House. For him to go up and give press conferences and so on and so forth and be like, well, oh, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm sorry that they're calling me out. I can't you're supposed to be the president of the United States, but he even knows, he knows he's not liked. He knows he's not supposed to be there. And imagine what that does to his mentality as president. That's a danger in itself. But anyway, Milbank, Milbank goes on. Obama was all smiles, waves, winks, nods, and cocked eyebrows to his ebullient fans, whom he shushed after 25 seconds of applause. Feels good, doesn't it? Vice President Harris remarked. There's Joe Biden sitting there. Nobody wants to be around him. And you've got Vice President Harris saying, feels good, doesn't it, to have Obama back. Milbank goes on. Where Obama was loose, Biden was stiff, standing with hands clasped before him and his lips forming a tight line. Vice President Biden, Obama began. Biden stepped forward and saluted. That was a joke, Obama felt the need to add. Now, this is not um, self-deprecation anymore when Joe Biden goes around saying he is Barack Obama's vice president. It is a, a mental issue for him. It's a mental issue for him. And for Barack Obama to come in there as the celebrity at this party and make a joke like that is not funny. It showed that Barack Obama has the audience, is in charge, and Joe Biden looks like a pathetic, aloof loser. Even if it's true, if you care about the country, you care about the Democratic Party, let me give you an example. I got some clout here in conservative circles. Let's, uh, let's say somebody invites me over to their party. A bunch of conservatives are coming over. Maybe I've got a cousin who's kind of weird, and he invites me to his birthday party. He likes me. He's a conservative, and he wants, he wants to have a good time. And maybe, yeah, he likes the idea that I'm around. It brings him pride or something like that. So I show up at this birthday party and I proceed to ridicule my cousin, ridicule him, make him feel bad. I should be there uplift, uplifting him, right? That's, that's that person's moment. What I'm trying to say is Joe Biden is president in name, but he's president. And you have a former president come in and basically talk down to the president of the United States. You're not the president anymore, Barack. You should be in there schmoozing with Joe, building Joe up. Not going around, ignoring Joe. Have you seen the video of of this happening? It is literally, it really is the saddest thing I've ever seen in politics. Barack Obama's smiling. He's shaking hands. Everyone is standing around him. They can't wait. They want to be in his presence, want to touch their God, Barack Obama. Joe Biden's wandering aimlessly. No one's paying attention to him. It's his White House, his East Room. He's the president. He's the host. And no one will talk to him. No one's interested in him. And he looks over and he sees Barack Obama surrounded by people. And he tries to get in on the conversation. And he yells out, Barack, Barack. And he even grabs onto Barack's shoulder, trying to get his attention. 
And Barak ignores him completely, doesn't turn his head. Barak knew what he was doing because Barak is an absolute narcissist. He knew that he was loved and he loved that that was happening. He was happy to make jokes at Joe Biden's expense because in his head, when he's not in the White House, he's laughing. He's laughing because he loves the fact that there has not been anyone in the Democratic Party since him that has been charismatic, been beloved like this. It hasn't happened since him. And he loves that reputation. He loves where he stands. And all he cares about is himself. So he didn't go in there and talk about how awesome Joe was. He didn't encourage people to be loyal to Joe. He didn't build him up. He went in there and built up himself. He went in there and ignored Joe Biden at Joe Biden's birthday party. He hijacked the event. And it's disgusting. Actually, you know what? I'm going to play the clip of, uh, of Joe Biden first about what he said that was not funny. Thank you very much. Please. My name is Joe Biden. I'm Barack Obama's Woo! vice president. I'm Joe Biden's husband. Joe Biden suffers from a crippling level of insecurity. And that's what that comment amounts to. Hi, I'm Joe Biden. I'm Barack Obama's vice president and Jill Biden's husband. You are the president of the United States, Joe. You need to be putting yourself forward as a confident leader. But this is not the first time he's made comments like that, like this. And it's not funny. It is not funny at all for him to be acting this way. Not for a president of the United States, not someone with the amount of control that he has, not somebody. I mean, this is putting our national security at risk as well. I'm watching this and thinking this. You are probably watching this and thinking this and listening to this and feeling the same way. Imagine what China, what Xi is thinking. Imagine what Vladimir Putin is thinking. Imagine what the Ayatollah of Iran is thinking right now. Look at this guy. Barack Obama's in here. Joe Biden's the president. Look how weak he is. He can't even stand there and be proud and say something like, well, you know, I'm the president of the United States. Here we go, Barack Obama. He's a former president of the United States, but now... I got the bull by the horns, baby. I'm in charge. That's what you want from a president, not this. But not only that, let's listen to what Barack Obama had to say when he stood up and introduced himself. Thank you. Vice President Biden. Vice President. That was a joke. Everybody knows, everybody in that audience, in the East Room of the White House, knows that's true. Joe Biden's the vice president, still playing second fiddle. And it's so irresponsible and so sickening what Barack Obama did there. But I want to go on with this Milbank piece in the Washington Post. He says, Obama wasn't trying to steal the show. Now, Milbank's wrong. Obama was trying to steal the show. He knew exactly what he was doing, and he did steal the show. He used that as an opportunity to steal the show, to be in the limelight, because he loves it. He loves it. Barack Obama misses it. He wasn't kidding when he said he wished he could run for a third term. He wished that had been possible, but it wasn't. 
So Milbank goes on and writes, he credited Biden's work on Obamacare, joked about Biden's BFT remark, caught on a hot mic. That's when Barack Obama was signing Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, into law back in 2010 in March. And Barack Obama, while the mic was on, said, this is a big effing deal. 12 years ago. And then, um, and then Obama led the crowd in a standing ovation for Biden twice, as long as Obama's. So Biden said, feels like the good old days, Begin, beginning a speech that was, as usual, serviceable, this is Milbank writing, with the occasional struggle over a word, the squinting at the teleprompter, the puzzling aside, the stage whisper. The White House arranged for Biden to sign an executive order, but even there, Biden played second fiddle to the president, as he still calls Obama. One thing I haven't gotten down, Barack Obama could sign his name using nine different pins. Biden marveled. After the signing, Obama worked the room with bear hugs and back slaps. I'm going to go say hi to people. I'll circle around, he told the current president, who seemed more eager to leave. At one point, Biden appeared to reach for Obama's arm, but failed to get his attention. This reset was a disaster. It did, uh, it did reset things for America. It just basically made us a less safe nation than we were before this meeting took place. And I'm going to tell you something now because I'm always ahead of the game. Remember that Drew Allen is saying this right now today on the Drew Allen Show. Because this meeting, in this meeting, the Democrats unveiled their strategy going into the midterms. That's what you just witnessed take place. The the Democrats are frustrated, have been frustrated that Americans just won't thank the Biden administration for all of its many accomplishments, by the way, which there are none. But they're frustrated, the Democrats. Frustrated Americans are upset about inflation and soaring gas prices. Upset that we won't accept their lies day in and day out, that they're not responsible for this. Upset that we don't just thank them for everything. The Democrats are ticked off that the American people won't just see things the way the Democrats want us to see things. They have used TikTok stars. They've used the media. They've begged the media to do a better job communicating their message to the American people. And the Democrats are ticked off. They're getting blamed for something. The Biden administration doesn't like it. And they're especially ticked off because a recent NBC News poll reported that 71% of Americans say we are headed in the wrong direction. So Democrats, they've decided, well, I guess we can't tell our base anymore that they're mistaken. You know, go have a margarita, right? That kind of attitude. So Democrats, better late than never, I guess. They're saying, well, we can't tell Americans anymore because it's not resonating that they're just mistaken. They don't get it. They've tried it all. So now the Democrats have to acknowledge their voters' anger and redirect it towards the Republican Party, and they're going to use the Affordable Care Act, health care, to do it. Biden's not popular, so now they've landed on their new message. Republicans are going to take away your health care. This is Social Security 2.0. That's where they're going with this. They're going to say Republicans are worse than us. They want to take away your health care. And if Republicans get in power, just you wait. You think things are bad now with inflation and everything else? Wait till you lose your health care. That's when things are really going to get bad. They're going to get worse if you don't vote for Democrats. If Republicans come back and take over the House and the Senate in the midterms, boy, just you wait. So we got to keep Democrats in office because if we do that, we've at least got a fighting chance. That's where this is going. 
And you're going to hear this more and more in the media. And mark my words, in the next day, next few days, in the coming weeks, you're going to hear more people repeat exactly what I'm telling you today. Because this is the realignment. This is what the Democrats have decided is their only only strategy going forward. This is their Hail Mary. They don't want us talking about inflation. They don't want us talking about soaring gas prices anymore. So what they're going to do is go on the offense. That's what they admitted yesterday. That's what that reset. And and remember, it was the 12th anniversary of the Affordable Care Act being signed into law. The 12th anniversary. Who celebrates 12th anniversaries? They hadn't been planning this for a long period of time. Why didn't they celebrate the 11th anniversary of it last year? Well, it wasn't convenient. They hadn't come up with this strategy yet. So now it's the 12th anniversary of Obamacare. And so we saw the end of that charade. The Democrats have completely given up on Joe Biden, humiliated him, and now they're pivoting to their strategy going into midterms. And that strategy is to go after health care. And they got shellacked, remember, back in the midterms under Barack Obama after they forced that Affordable Care Act Obamacare through. It wasn't popular. And do you remember how that took place, by the way, if we're going to revisit what happened with health care? Well, that was after the 2008 elections, right? Obama came into office, and the Democrats gained a majority in the House and a filibuster-proof supermajority in the Senate. They had 60, 60 in the Senate. But four months in, Ted Kennedy, Senator Kennedy, died. And then in August of 2009, a Republican, Scott Brown, he won the seat left vacant in a special election. So they were counting on using their supermajority, filibuster-proof majority in the Senate to get this Obamacare legislation passed. Well, that went out the window. So they had already passed a bill in the House for Obamacare and one in the Senate. But in order for that bill to be sent to the president's desk, that would be Obama's desk at the time, they had to reconcile things. The House had to edit and the Senate had to edit and make sure their bills in the end were the exact same. They had to agree on one bill to send to the desk. That's what happens. The House passes a bill, the Senate passes a bill, and they get together and they have to agree on one bill. But the House and the Senate, well, the... uh, The House wasn't happy with the Senate bill. They wanted changes. But because they didn't have a supermajority in the Senate anymore, they couldn't make changes on their end or force the changes because then they'd have to go back and forth between the House and Senate again. And they couldn't get the Senate to vote anymore because they didn't have the supermajority. So before they sent the bill to Obama's desk, so, so here's what happened. The House agreed without making the changes they wanted. They agreed to accept the Senate's bill so they didn't have to go back and vote again. So they agreed to use the Senate's bill and submit that to Barack Obama's Obama's desk for signature. But the agreement they made was that the Senate was going to use reconciliation, a Senate process, budget process, to amend the bill, to put some of those goodies and things that they wanted in the America Affordable Care Act in there that they couldn't otherwise have gotten into the bill. So to make the House Democrats happy and the other Democrats happy, that's what they did. The Senate used reconciliation as an amendment bill. So Obama signed Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, and then he also signed this amendment bill through the reconciliation process called the Reconciliation Act, they called it, to pass Obamacare and give it to us today. And it's been an absolute disaster. Absolute disaster. 
premiums have gone through the roof. And basically what Obama did is, you know, he claimed, well, we have 12 to 20 million people without insurance. So what he did is, instead of focusing on those 12 million to 20 million people and crafting something to take care of them, he destroyed the entire system. And he forced 30 million people off their insurance plans to get 12 million people insured. It was always about control, and there's nothing bigger and more important for the government to control than health care. And it was such a disaster. I mean, deductibles skyrocketed, six to $10,000 before insurance even kicks in, so you might as well have not even had health care. You paid more for inferior health care and service. And remember that website, Obamacare website? The taxpayers, we forked out $634 million to develop that Obamacare website, and it had glitches. It wouldn't work for weeks and weeks and weeks. It was an embarrassment. And passing Obamacare was a disaster for the Democrats. They got routed in those midterm elections. We took back the House and the Senate. It was an absolute shellacking. But Democrats have decided this is the path they're going to going to go forward with to distract us and to give them something to run on so they can't run on their policies they can't run on what they've accomplished because they've accomplished nothing they've hurt the american people so now they're calculating we're going to make a we're going to make expanding health care that's the issue that's the only issue we're going to campaign on going into this because crt didn't work out we saw the republicans take back elections there the governorship lieutenant lieutenant governorship Virginia went from dark blue to bright red overnight because of the Democrats. And we're seeing this in local elections now as well. In, uh, in Wisconsin, we just won an election. I mean, I'll get to some of those in a little bit. And we've got to get into the Durham report and what's going on with the Democrats. But just remember, you heard it here first. This is the campaign issue now. That's what that meeting was about. The 12th anniversary of the Affordable Care Act. Well, they're banking on the fact that enough Americans now depend upon, believe that, the lie that the Affordable Care Act, well, that's the best thing that ever happened to health insurance. And they're banking on the fact that Americans are stupid enough to believe that Republicans are somehow going to take away their health care, just like they threatened every year for decades that Republicans were going to take away Social Security. We wanted old people to die. That's where they're going. This is Drew Allen. I'll be right back. It's just such an abject lie that Barack Obama and Joe Biden have some kind of camaraderie, that they're brothers, they love each other. They don't. If that had been the case, Barack Obama would have rushed to endorse Joe Biden for the presidency in 2020, but he did not. He waited until the last possible second to get involved and endorse Joe Biden. And Joe Biden, of course, lied and said that, well, he talked to Barack and he told Barack not to endorse him. That was not true. Remember, Barack Obama said, you know, never underestimate what Joe Biden's ability to F things up. Barack Obama thinks that Joe Biden is an idiot and a loser. And that was demonstrated in the East Room of the White House yesterday. Yesterday. 
Um, I don't know. I might have more to say on this in a little bit, but let's move on for a minute here. There's other important things I want to talk about, but I'm just so miffed by that because as as a person who despises bullies and has basically dedicated my life to taking the side of individuals and defending those who feel like they can't defend themselves, and that's honestly why I've gotten involved in this too, because a lot of people out there are afraid to speak up, and they're looking for people to encourage them and to give them a voice. And I do strive to do that. I take that very seriously. But I also am speaking because I want to encourage others of you listening to do the same because the more of us, the better. The more of us, the better. We all have to speak up. And I actually do have your back. And you can have someone else's back too. And that's how it works. But I'm looking at this situation and I just despise. I, I really hate bullies. And that's what took place here. Barack Obama's a bully. The Democratic Party are bullies. They're bullying America. And even Joe Biden, who I absolutely detest and despise, who is a despicable human being himself, to watch these people. Because remember, I worked for Mark Jacobs in fashion. I used to open and manage retail stores. I lived in Milan, Italy for two and a half years. I speak Italian. I've worked amongst people who are the most arrogant people in the world. I had a production company. I acted. I wrote screenplays. I I produced a movie. And I have been around these people in Hollywood, which is representative of what takes place in D.C. And I know these people intimately, and I despise them. That's why I want nothing to do with Hollywood. That's why I want nothing to do with it. And I'm not a guy who spent my whole life being bullied, but I've watched bullies and I've stood in their way. I've never wanted to even be associated with anyone like that. Arrogance, condescension, I despise it. And that's the beauty of conservatism and our thought process. We celebrate Americans. We lift them up. We believe that the American people have the right, the constitutional right, to dictate and run their own lives. But Democrats are arrogant. They're the bullies who believe fundamentally that Americans are too stupid to run their own lives. The old plantation mentality. The slaves are better off and happier in a system in which their lives are governed by others, us, the plantation owners. And I reject that, and we reject that, and that's the fundamental battle we're in today. A bunch of people who believe that they're smarter than everyone else, that they want to be in politics and politicians, in office, president, whatever else, and they're going to talk down to us, and they're going to dictate how we live, and then conservatism, we stand up and say, shut the hell up and sit down. We have unalienable rights. You pieces of garbage in the government, you work for us, not the other way around. But the Democrats, that's where their law, that's where their heads are at. Up their AWSs, by the way. But this is the fight, and it's got me fired up and mad because nothing makes me angrier than bullies, and that's what we're experiencing today. Americans are being bullied by the government. They're spending our taxpayer dollars like drunken sailors. They're ruining our lives, inflation, wiping away months of our income laughing at us, telling us not to worry about it. It's not their fault when they're responsible for it. They're telling us to buy electric vehicles while they drive up the prices of oil. And they're telling us, thinking we're stupid. It's not our fault. We got to move to windmills. I've had it. I've had it with this crap. All right. Calming down here. What else was I going to talk to you about today? There's some good news before I get into a couple other stories. Amidst all this crap and the Democrats going for their Hail Mary here to try and uh, use, you know, the Affordable Care Act and health care as their, uh, you know, next Social Security 2.0. Well, they're, they're plummeting, not just in the polls, but in, in the real world. Maria Lazar, 
Well, she defeated a liberal incumbent in Wisconsin. She ran against Lori Cornbloom, who was the incumbent there in Waukesha County. Or Waukesha is the city, I guess. For a seat on the Court of Appeals. She won, Maria Lazar, that is, the, the conservative, defeated the liberal 55% to 45%. 158,290 votes to 131,863 votes. And now this is Waukesha where the BLM activist, if you recall, mowed over people at that Christmas parade. So we are fighting back and they are losing at the polls and that's why their desperation increases. Now in Norman, Oklahoma, a mayoral race flipped red. Larry, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name, I'm sorry. It's H-E-I-K-K-I-L-A. Heikila. Larry Heikila. Well, he received 53.39% of the vote, while Brea, another incumbent, Brea Clark, Brea Clark received 46.61%. Like I said, Brea Clark was the incumbent, a Democrat. And under Clark, by the way, the Democrat incumbent, Norman, Oklahoma, was the first city there to issue a mask mandate. And Larry Heikila, the Republican, campaigned on increasing police funding amongst cleaning up homelessness issues, and he won. Now, this is Cleveland County in Oklahoma. Trump got 55.7% of the votes. Oklahoma is obviously uh, conservative. It's Republican. But that is not anywhere near the most Republican county. Uh, Trump got 55.7% of the votes, so not overwhelming there, but it was Trump country. But, but this particular town, obviously, Norman, they had a Democrat there as the mayor, and he lost. Or she, I don't know who this person is, but Bria Clark lost to the conservative. So that's some good news. Um, now, more updates here on the unfolding Durham investigation. You know, this is going to hinge on, uh, I think this is taking place in maybe a D.C. Court of Appeals. I forget, but there's a judge there. I don't know what his affiliation is. I'll look into it a little bit more in further programming. But um, anyway... This goes back to what we talked about here time and time again. So you have Sussman who worked for Perkins Coy. He was a lawyer there, and uh, he worked alongside Mark Elias. Now, when you hear Mark Elias, he's out there talking about defending democracy. He left the Perkins Coy law firm. He was a partner there, and he is a despicable reprobate. And I understand why he's insecure, because his doppelganger is Jabba the Hutt. But Mark Elias, never forget this. If Sussman's guilty here, so is Mark Elias. But Mark Elias departed the Perkins Coy law firm and started his own practice to try and distance himself from what he was involved in, in the collusion that took place in the 2016 election, working for and with the Hillary Clinton campaign to frame Donald Trump with Trump-Russia collusion. But anyway, nonetheless, Sussman, his partner, Mark Elias' partner right now, he's the one that's been indicted. Uh, He has, you know, basically what happened, again... He took a bunch of information to the FBI that claimed that Trump was communicating in some capacity with a bank in Russia called Alpha Bank. And he went to the FBI and he said that he was merely acting as a good citizen versus working for someone on behalf of a client. And so last September, a federal grand jury indicted him over this lie. So he's fighting this. Now, Sussman's attorneys have tried repeatedly to claim that Sussman never lied to the FBI. But Monday's filing by Durham provides evidence to the contrary. Now, they've tried to say, you know, no, 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 the, you know, the FBI never asked, uh, so he didn't deny, but we have written already um, notes and things 
from individuals in the intelligence community who have said that, no, he did tell us that he wasn't working on behalf of a client. But nonetheless, now we have a text message that Sussman sent to uh, James Baker, the FBI general counsel, back on September 8th, 18th, 2016, prior to them meeting up, prior to Sussman going to Baker, sitting down with the FBI and saying, hey, I got this stuff I came across. Do you want it? It's damning about Trump. He's colluding with Russia. So he sends a text message to Baker ahead of this meeting and says, Jim, it's Michael Sussman. I have something time sensitive and sensitive I need to discuss. Do you have availability for a short meeting tomorrow? I'm coming on my own, not on behalf of a client or company. Want to help the borough? Thanks, the text read as seen in the filing. So there we have it in writing. Michael Sussman's a liar. He lied to the FBI. And then his lawyers are lying again saying that this didn't happen. But now we, now we have a text message in writing proving that he did, in fact, mislead the FBI and tell them he wasn't working on behalf of a client before the meeting and during the meeting. Um, and this gets into the Steele dossier as well because they brought Michael Steele in early. Before he developed the PP hoax and all that sort of stuff and, and submitted that to investigate Trump, well, uh, Sussman met with Christopher Steele in the summer of 2016 who's the author of the infamous Steele dossier compiled on behalf of the Clinton campaign. And what was the purpose of the meeting? Well, Sussman went to, uh, to get this Steele dossier off the ground and started. So the defendant Sussman is testifying before Congress that the purpose of his meeting with Steele was to vet Steele for the Clinton campaign to see if, you know, his knowledge of national security matters you know, that he would be a good fit, that he was... Work- but, but so he testified, Steele, that is, I mean, uh, Sussman, that during the meeting with Steele... Sorry, no, no, no. It's crazy reading these uh, court orders. I got to get it right. So he testified that during the meeting, the defendant told him about the Alpha Bank allegation. So this is Steele. Steele is saying that he met with Sussman, and Sussman told him about the Alpha Bank allegations. Steele then testified that after the meeting, personnel from Fusion GPS tasked Steele to research and produce intelligence reports about Alpha Bank, which he did. So this was the beginning of that phony Steele dossier. He put the Alpha Bank info in there, and that was the purpose of this meeting. The Clinton campaign was behind all of it. And Clinton is trying to keep herself out of prison right now and out of the spotlight. That's what this is about. So Durham, by the way, wants to put this information about the Steele meeting. He wants to submit this to the court. So let me read this. According to U.S. government records and public information, Steele also later provided the substance of the Alpha Bank allegations to personnel from the U.S. State Department, and Fusion GPS provided such information to an official at the U.S. Department of Justice. So this Alpha Bank stuff and Steele, they used this to go after Trump. And Durham's decision to include this information in his latest finding suggests that he plans to to describe at the trial how the Clinton campaign tried to dig up dirt about then-candidate Donald Trump and his ties to Russia. So this goes beyond, beyond Sussman and Perkins Coy. This is going right back to Hillary Clinton herself, and that's what they're fearful of, afraid of. We'll see what's going to happen with this, but you know and I know that Clinton should be in jail for this. And she was behind it all. And Barack Obama was involved as well. And this just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. But unfortunately, it takes forever to investigate and do this. And that is given the fact all of the uh, the the lack of, uh, what am I trying to say? Cooperation with Democrats and so on and so forth. 
But this is why we need, uh, you know, special investigations into all of this. That's why when the Republicans take back the House and Senate, we have to have our own special prosecutor to look into all of this in addition to, in addition to Joe Biden. Um, now, Joe Biden, speaking of Joe Biden and this corruption going on. Now, this is where this needs to go. Because there is a discrepancy between what the Bidens, that be Jill and Joe Biden, claim to have earned on their own from book deals and public speaking and where the rest of the money came from. So this is from the Federalist. So Joe Biden and Joe Biden, look, they have this S-Corp set up, right? I mean, whatever. You start a, a corporation, S-Corp's just one of them. It could be one of the others. But they had an S-Corp set up, or a couple, one each. So he had a Celtic Capri Corp, and she had Jacopa Corp. Now, they had these uh, S-Corporations set up shortly after Biden's departure from the office of vice president. Now, their corporations contained, well, let, let, let me read it this way. Those entities, their corporations, S-Corporations, his and hers, contained more than $13 million of the $17 million the couple had reported an income after Biden left office. So, Biden gave us his individual tax returns which did not delineate where the money came from. It did not show the S-Corp income, all right? This is at the heart of this. So he claimed to be transparent, but in fact, he was hiding where his money came from because he didn't reveal what the S-Corps contained. So, uh, you know, then-presidential candidate Biden, he bragged that his, you know, look, they went after Trump forever, right? He needs to give us his tax returns and so on and so forth. And meanwhile, Biden bragged that he released his tax returns with a historic level of transparency is what they called it. But the truth is, like I just said, he only released his individual returns. Those returns didn't didn't provide any details regarding the source of most of his his income, which was the dollars that flowed to him and his wife via the S-Corps they set up. And, of course, the media wasn't interested. They ignored this. Obsessed with Donald Trump's tax returns, but not interested or curious about this at all. So here's the deal. So the media basically just accepted this premise that Joe and Jill raked in $13 million from a book deal to generate this sudden huge increase, increase in income. But it doesn't add up because their book sales were dismal. Now, U.S. Today published this fact check piece before the election you know, covering up for the Bidens like they did, suppressing the Hunter Biden laptop store and everything else. But here's the fact check from USA, Te- USA Today. $15.6 million from speaking fees and book deals in the years 2017 through 2019. And more than $10 million of that total income was profits from Biden's memoir, Promise Me Dad, and $3 million in profits from Jill Biden's book. Give me a break. Nobody's read the book. Nobody has the book. Nobody even knew this book existed until today. So anyway, let's go into this a little bit. So there's basically an 8.7... So in 2018, there's a notable notable $8.7 million gap that exists between its $9.5 million net income in 2017 and the $809,709 of disclosed income in that year from book tour and related speaking events. 
So we don't have insight into where that other income came from. It didn't come from the book deals. So if we were just going to trust the USA Today's BS fact check that Jill grossed $3 million for a book that sold just 7,000 copies in its first week, and that from that book deal, she netted more than $1 million in the two years prior to its release, but only 175000 in the year it was published. I mean, it's possible that an advance was paid, but how does a publisher justify that amount? Because, for example, in the same book deal, we're told that Joe netted $12.2 million after expenses for a book that sold 300,000 copies. Now, this excludes the $4.2 million earned from touring and speaking. That yields $8 million of income that we're assuming came from book royalties. And so, as they point out here in The Federalist, for analysis purposes, consider his book had a retail price of $27 for hardcover and $18 for, for paperback. And assume a reasonable mix of sales. So, the average price was $23, no discounts. So, if you sold 300,000 books, gross revenues would have been just under $7 million. Now, as an author, Joe would have received probably 12% of that using a blended royalty rate, going with what the, the common practice is. So, he would have made about 800000 in income. So, let's round it up to $1 million. Double it even. $2 million. It's not close to $8 million. It's a lie. So, even if he got an advance, how would a, how would a publisher advance that kind of money $8 million to an author whose prior work promises to keep sold 49,000 copies. This is the point. We have questions to ask. Where did it come from? We don't know. And they haven't disclosed it. $17 million, the couple reported in income after Biden left office. Most of it in the first year, 2017. $17 million since 2017 they've raked in. And we're supposed to believe it all came from book sales and speaking fees. Uh, Joe Biden has not been in demand for speaking. Let's be honest. And nobody bought his books. So where'd the money come from? We know. 10% for the big guy. And the Republicans better be screaming, demanding access to those S-Corp reporting of income. Because that's where we're going to find the answers. And of course, the frustrating thing is we know where it came from. It came from, from Hunter Biden. It came from from those deals that he made with China, with Russia, with foreign entities all around the world. There's another report of of some kind of Serbian uh, individual reaching out to Hunter Biden trying to make a deal and and pay him. But I'm so sick of this too. I mean, I am so tired, and that's why it's so refreshing about Trump. Finally, a guy comes into office and actually risks something, sacrifices for the country, which is what you're supposed to do. But all these politicians, and look, they're in the Democrat and Republican Party, both, but especially Democrats, they are using political office to enrich themselves when it should be the opposite. At the founding of this country, the idea was you work in the real world, you're successful, you learn everything And then you sacrifice for a brief amount of time to give back to your country. But these people aren't sacrificing for the country. They're taking advantage of us. It's a criminal enterprise, our politics today. Stacey Abrams, here's a perfect example. She is a millionaire. Now, I'm not going to cry anybody who's a millionaire. I want everyone to be successful. But how did Stacey Abrams become a millionaire? Well, four years ago, do you know what she was worth? 
109,000. That's when she ran for governor of Georgia the first time. Now she's going to run again, of course, and get shellacked again. And I can't wait. Okay, so four years ago, she's worth $109,000. Now she owns a $975,000 home and she bought her parents a $370,000 home. So she's got two homes worth nearly $1.4 million. But four years ago, she had $100,000 to her name. Where did she get this money? Well, she was paid more than $700,000 over a three-year period working for the Southern Economic Advancement Project, which is a foundation that Abrams founded in 2019. They're funded by the Roosevelt Institute. Do you know what the Roosevelt Institute is? Well, it's one of these think tanks. They get their dark money from God knows where. And they're a, a communist Marxist enterprise devoted to fundamentally transforming and destroying the United States of America. According to the Washington Post, the Roosevelt Institute, which funds Stacey Abrams' outfit that she founded in 2019 and paid herself $700,000 over a three-year year period, well, the Roosevelt Institute, which funds her group, well, the Washington Post says the Institute's plan is firmly rooted in the conviction that more government can solve most of America's economic challenges. It is a plan seemingly designed to rally liberals, enrage free market economic economists, and push a certain presumptive presidential nominee to the left. There you go. A Marxist militant arm of the Democratic Party. Are there not enough of these out there? Everywhere you look. Everywhere, every time you start to look into these things, it's another radical, militant arm of the Democratic Party. But I've just, I've just had enough of it. Absolutely had enough of it. And I'm tired of unelected people running this country. And that's what we learned, too, to go back, circle back, if you will, to that embarrassing display with Barack Obama and Joe Biden, the Democrats, humiliating Joe. <clears throat> Joe doesn't know what's going on, but he was elected to be president of the United States. I mean, presumably. You know where I stand on this. But he's not running the country. Unelected bureaucrats are running the country. And it was clear, too, that the Democrat Party is still Obama's party. It's not Biden's party, it's Obama's party. So as much as they say, oh, we've got to rip the uh, Republican Party, it's Trump's party, that can't be anymore. Well, Barack Obama still runs the show with the Democrats. But he's going to come out and try and endorse people. And, you know, unlike Trump, who does have the Midas touch, when he touches people, when he endorses them, they tend to win. When Barack Obama comes out and endorses anybody, they tend to lose. Because Barack Obama's a different beast. He, he's a self-serving megalomaniac. His influence does not extend beyond himself. That's the truth. That's the truth. And I'm so excited, by the way, about uh, Sarah Palin to come back and run. That's something I didn't have time to get into uh, the other day. But she's running for a congressional seat in Alaska, and I'm excited. She was ahead of her time. She spoke her mind. And let's be clear. Let's be clear. She did not lose the presidential race against Barack Obama. That was lost by John McCain. She was the VP. Nobody's voting for or against a VP. It's about the president. John McCain lost that, not her. And the, the, the ground game has changed so much since, back, since then. What we lost with dignity, Trump came along and changed everything. And before Trump, Sarah Palin was speaking her mind. But she was uh, gagged, essentially, by the McCain campaign. 
And I think she's going to win that congressional seat. And I'm excited for her to come back into politics. I'm very excited because the Republican Party's caught up with her thanks to Trump. And we're free to speak our minds. And that's what Americans need and want and desire. So there are exciting things happening out there. And there there are infuriating things as well. But I'm just done with the bullies. And there's only one way to deal with a bully. How do you do it? How do you deal with somebody who's a rabid bully? Somebody mean and cruel who's just taking advantage of people, who thinks, who's so arrogant. Well, you have to, you have to get in the alpha male role and put them in their place. That's the only way. I've learned this in my life to deal with bullies, and I'm happy to do it. I don't look for confrontation, but you ask any of my friends. I'm a confrontational dude. And I understand some of these people, the only way to deal with these jerk-offs is to make them fear you. Make them fear you. And that's my policy towards these people. You want to treat somebody around me in my circle and you want to bully them? I'm going to step in there and intercede. You're going to look me in the eyes. And you're not dealing with some beta who's going to bend over, bow down, whatever you want to say for you. Because these people go through life having their butts kissed. They never have to encounter somebody who doesn't have that mentality. And that's what we have to be in the conservative side. With the culture wars and everything else, dealing with Disney... They're bullies, and they get away with it because we are being pacifists. I'm not, this isn't about violence. This is just about standing up for what's right and true. We let them run roughshod over us and treat us like crap and dictate to us how we live our lives and project and coerce us into accepting whatever they want, and we just accept it. Meanwhile, they're totally intolerant. So the days of tolerance have to end because we're talking about values. We're talking about our country. No more of this. No more of this. Barack Obama's a jackass. So is Joe Biden, but Barack Obama's even a bigger jackass. As are these bullies in the Democratic Party. And they will take advantage of you and me and this country until we say enough is enough. Until we stop being fearful and make them fearful of us. That's what we have to do. But anyway... God bless you all. I'm glad to be with you again today. I couldn't wait to get in here and talk about all that information. Um, I'll be back with you soon. I've got some articles to write. Subscribe, by the way. Go to DrewThomasAllen.com. It reroutes you to my Substack page. Subscribe there if you want to get uh, no spam, just notifications. You know, when I have these articles released and so on and so forth, you know, you'll know they're out there and be alerted to things. And also, who knows what's happening? You know, this, is, this is an exciting time for me. I'm doing more and more TV. I am more and more in demand by the day, and, uh, and I want to make sure that you're there with me. All right, this is Drew Allen, your fearless uh, millennial leader here. God bless you all until next time.